Reflecting on the water As the sun shuts her eyes Don't know why you'll uncover Watch the tide rolling With the moonlight Everything is silent On this wheezy piano You are listening to Missing Magnolias, and this is our final episode for season one. And I can't think of a better way to end the season with a potential uh, creepy serial killer who has an affinity for redheads as being two redheaded uh, co-hosts. It's just really appropriate for it. (laughs) One thing that we want to talk about is uh, we don't want to confuse you guys with another case of redheaded murders which was exactly what happened with me and Scarlett when we were talking about this case. She was saying redheads and I was saying redheads and we were talking about different redheads. So in and around the late 1970s into the early 1990s, there was an active serial killer called the Redheaded Murders or the Bible Belt Strangler. And um, this is an offender who they think is a traveling serial killer, perhaps a long haul truck driver who is responsible for a series of homicides, who is still unknown. And all of those victims shared the characteristics of either having red hair or reddish hair or recently colored red hair. So they were all tied together. Uh, There are some similar characteristics in the way the crimes were committed, but there are also some distinctions. So there's an argument about whether or not it's one serial offender or perhaps two offenders or a series of offenders. I think we still don't really know. There have been some recent updates on the cases, but we still don't know what's going on there. And so that's the OG redheaded murders. But today we're talking about something different and something much closer to us Louisianians, which involves two women's heads that were found near roadways really not that long ago, right? Yeah, 2018. And I am I know that you have all the Google alerts set. And so each woman's head was found, I think, within a few months of each other, unfortunately, in close in the, both the Texas and Louisiana areas. And the, the woman that, that was found in Louisiana, she actually was ID'd. There was a positive ID made and her identity has since been uncovered. But the woman in Houston still remains unID'd. So the second woman was found in Texas near Lake Houston on March 24th, kind of a few weeks after this first head was found in Louisiana. It was also picked up by volunteers. I I guess there's a trash committee. They volunteer and they pick up trash. And they also found this, uh, I guess, what looked like a suspicious kind of garbage bag. And they found the second person. The detective on the case also notes that it sounds real similar to the, the case in Louisiana. So both both law enforcement agencies are, you know, are sharing and are in communication about, about both of these cases. This woman has also not been identified. The Harris County Medical Examiner released an anthropological profile. She's also young, middle-aged, has long reddish-brown or auburn hair. Also interesting here, she has tattooed eyebrows and eyelashes. Also, really good teeth, maybe possible no drug addiction. Forensic notes that she's either white or Hispanic. And we've got a sketch of uh, of this second woman in Texas that we'll definitely share on our website and our social media. 
Also, no identity on this woman. There is a possible suspect, again, for this the second woman in Texas. There were witnesses uh, two weeks before this, um, this head was found. There is a suspicious man in his 20s who drove a, a blue-green Chevrolet pickup that had looked like it had been in several, several wrecks. Uh, as his left, left passenger uh, car door window had a cardboard window, and he was seen drop, dumping a garbage bag out of his car. So anyone with uh, that can identify this man or has any information, please call the Houston police at 713-308-3600. There's also Crime Stoppers at 713-222 and tips. So when we first heard about this, it was, I believe, how could you perish? Cameron Parish, sorry, Cameron Parish. Well, so the first head was found right off the roadways, found by sanitation workers doing their job, if I recall correctly. And uh, they didn't really have any leads. They pulled from the faces lab they uh, to try and get some help after they didn't have any matches in, in our national DNA repositories. And there were no missing persons cases that matched. We knew it was a, a, a woman, possibly white or Hispanic. And then shortly after that, we heard about the second head found similarly styled in a, I think, in a, ba- a plastic bag um, that was thrown into a waterway in Texas. But about this, when we had a little bit more information, um, there was a vehicle that uh, was seen around the time by this waterway. And it was a very distinctive vehicle, which I want to make sure that we talk about at some point. But uh, we still don't know who that offender is. Uh, And it took a while before the victim in Louisiana was ID'd. So I think that's a really big advancement in the case. When we have two unidentified remains to just one unidentified remains, that changes things. So what we have here in Texas is a, a sketch. We have a forensic sketch that's been done to try and help identify the victim, but she is still unidentified today. The little information that we have about the first victim, 58-year-old Sally Hines, is really limited For one, she was Native American and not Hispanic. So that was an important distinction. And I I think that kind of tells us, I think that brings to light how little we know about Native American ancestry and how that could be throwing a kink in in some of our missing unidentified remains of people who think that it might be a Hispanic victim. But in fact, it's a Native American. And we know how important it is to tap into those communities um, to raise awareness. So that's a really important distinction. We got lucky with that ID. And what we hear is that the victim had gone missing. She was a Texas woman and had gone missing from her home in December of 2017. And that's all we know. At least that's all that's been publicly available to us and the general public is that they don't really have any idea what happened or how she ended up in Louisiana. So even though that ID brought forth a lot of leads and information, it sounds like law enforcement is still pretty stuck. They've actually made the connection that these two cases are are likely linked since they were found. The woman that they did ID that was, as you mentioned, near Calcasieu was found March 1st. And the other woman in Houston was March 24th. And they were about 150 miles from one another. So these two cases are linked in terms of law enforcement's 
handling and they are in communication about these two cases. Michelle, you've got Google alerts. I, I don't think we've seen any other cases that really match this that have popped up yet anywhere because these women have reddish hair and they seem to maybe be fall into the Hispanic or Native American. There's some similarities, I guess, that you can, I don't want to say profiling. That's a whole other can of worms that maybe we can talk about later. Right. Profiling is not an exact science. <laughs> There's lots of flaws in it, but now I'm going to do a little bit of it. Uh, <laughs> we have some victimology that suggests some similarities just based on demographics. Could the redhead thing be a coincidence? Yes. Is it likely? No. Redheads are rare. Even those of us who are imposters who have infiltrated the true gender gingers are still rare, right? And so I, I should have brought the statistics of that, but uncommon to say the least. So to stumble upon two victims in that way is probably unlikely. In addition, I would assume that law enforcement has really tried to see how these two individuals might be linked as much as they can. And I mean, we might not be able to know that link until there's an ID, but I would bet if there's they're not genetically related, They've already done that work. And then they're probably not related in that. I'm sure the family's been asked if they have a cousin who's missing, right? You know what I mean? So even somebody distantly down the line that's not blood related, it, it doesn't sound like like those are an option either. So they could be attached by relationships, but most serial killer victims do not know each other. So if it's a serial offender, then there might not be a connection in that way. We also know that most serial offenders do not travel long distances, especially today. More of our serial offenders are remaining close to home because they want to operate in a safety zone, right? They want to work in, a, in an area where they know how to get out quickly through multiple exits. They want to work in an area where they know how likely police are to patrol at that time. And although these areas were, one could say, relatively popular dump sites in that it was off the side of the road, Cameron Parish is arguably pretty rural, but the Texas area, uh, the Houston area where the second head was found, is not necessarily a rural community. So is it possible that that offender is comfortable in both that Houston area and in the South Louisiana area? Maybe, but it seems that he also made some mistakes in the Houston area, right? Where we got potential uh, sketch of the offender, which I'm sure will link in case anybody happens to look at that and it jog a memory. And then that vehicle is really, really distinct. Now, again, it could be totally unrelated or it could be somebody in a messed up vehicle that was out doing their own thing that maybe made chit chat or eye contact with somebody who is the offender. And that person is an important person for us to talk to. They might not even know that they're important, right? They might not know what they know has re relevance for them, right? We've all seen odd stuff in our day to days and just sort of like shrug our shoulders because it's not linked to anything terrible. And that's why awareness is so important. And I mean, every class that I have taught since I heard about this case, I have said, hey, have you guys heard of the heads? Have you guys heard of the heads? And they ha never have any idea. And that sort of blows my mind because like, these are our people. This is our community. 
this is bizarre crime. Where are the rest of their bodies? Just lots of questions and things that should matter to us, but it's like no one's talking about it. Yeah, and that's a good point too. I that to highlight that the rest of their bodies, um, in both cases, have not been since located, and I guess police were even, you know, made the highlighted that that could be intentional because it could be very telling of this person that committed these crimes and have valuable evidence. And let's be honest, if I well, let's play the game, let's get in the mind of the serial offender and they're not all the same. So that's a thing that's even harder to do. Right. And, and this must be like a uh, this is not a first. Would you think this is a first time offender or is this is someone that's maybe more experienced in in their killing? at this stage to decapitate and dismember someone and get away with it. So really, when you think about decapitation and dismemberment, not only do you have to have the stomach for it, but you have to have the space for it, right? Like if you live in a city and you live with other people, you probably not are not going to be a dismembering serial killer, right? Or just you're probably not going to dismember anyway. So you have to have the tools, the space, the time and the I guess, um, soundproofing to do something like that, unless you're disarticulating them with your hands, which would take so much time. I don't know. I'd be curious to know what the wounds look like on the heads. Um, That could give us an idea if it was perhaps an overkill, rageful attack, right? Like the the National Forest serial killer who decapitated his victims. It was intentions to just overkill. He was so rageful that he wanted to them to be so very dead, you know, or is it a symptom of his expressiveness of his homicides? And I'm using he could be a she too, but it's usually man. Or is it a means of disposal? Did he clean cuts on every part of the body? And could he be dumping, you know, limbs in waterways all across the United States? I mean, that's not impossible. And perhaps chose rural Louisiana because the head is the or arguably one of the most identifiable aspects of the body. So he thought, you know, some people falsely assume that like alligators will eat everything. And like, not really. We find bodies all the time in our waterways. So, but he didn't throw it in the waterway, threw it on the side of the road. Maybe he wanted somebody to find it. I don't know. I don't know. I have a lot of questions. Yeah, so many questions. And it's so interesting that the first woman was ID'd by just an ordinary citizen that saw the initial sketch by um, forensic artist Lois Gibbons and worked with faces and they were able to get an ID. And the second woman, surely I'm, I'm hoping that that's in her her future because she is said to have, you know, some maybe identifiable features. She had tattooed eyebrows and eyelashes and good dental work. She had good teeth. So maybe this is someone that would be known, would be missed by her community. Absolutely. I mean, this is an identifiable person. I'm looking at those pictures right now, um, those sketches that we have. And I think somebody, somebody knows something. We just need to jog the right memory in the right community. And again, I'm wondering, we say that she's white or Hispanic, and I'm wondering, could we be making the same error here? Perhaps she's an indigenous person, Um, but I don't know enough about forensic anthropology to be able to, you know, say anything about that. But I'll be curious to know. And, And we really, you know, here we really believe 
it just takes you know takes one person right to see that picture uh to see that sketch and and find that person because somebody's missing their family member yeah, absolutely. And, and another thing that's so striking about this just uh, living here is how often, you know, so many people make that journey for work between Houston and, you know, our area in South Southwest Louisiana. So I think that would uh, say a lot about this person and what kind of opportunity they might have if they had a job that would take them from Texas and Louisiana frequently. That's a really important question. And, you know, if I was going to prey on a group of people, I would pray on the group of people that are least likely to get police intervention or media attention. And those are going to be people who fear the police. So if you're an undocumented immigrant or you're a Hispanic person living in South of the United States and you've dealt with, with prejudice by the police, it might be hard for you to feel like you could trust them or, or even pay attention to the things that they say. So it could be that this offender is intentionally preying on vulnerable populations and hoping that we don't pay attention, that big media doesn't pick it up, right? I also want to leave the number for the woman that's still unidentified. If anyone has any information, they are to call Houston police at 713-308-3600 or Crime Stoppers at 713-222-TIPS, and we'll provide those links as well. And uh, think about this vehicle, right? This is a really big distinction. It's a blue-green color. It's a Chevy Silverado extended cab pickup. And it's all jacked up. It, at the time, had a window that was broken. But, you know, if I was an offender trying to get away with a crime, I would hurry up and get that window fixed. But uh, he might still be driving that vehicle. Yeah, and he's said to be anywhere between 5'4", 5'8", maybe mid to late 20s. Dark Heron Bangs driving this blue-green Chevrolet Silverado that's beat up to all get out, but possibly maybe he took care of that. Or right before the pandemic, your junkyard got this weird green, blue-green colored Chevy pickup. You know, like that's the thing to think of too. When we're thinking about our time frame, right? How nice it was in 2019 before we knew what was coming our way. So let's put that in our brains when we're thinking about this case, too. That might help jog our memory. Yeah, with this case now, I don't know if you have this uh, with your background. Every time I'm driving and I see like a garbage bag on the side of the road, you know, in your mind, you're thinking, do you, (laughs) you know, how many people would get out and stop and, you know, suspicious looking bag on the side of the road? Or not suspicious in South Louisiana because there's so much trash everywhere on the side of the roads and these big ditches that never get cleaned. So that you could dump something and think somebody's going to find it. And it's just among the trash for months and months until someone decides to care about it, which is kind of scary. Hey, you know what? People need to start picking up litter. That's going to be the solution to a crime problem, right? Find all the bodies, pick up all the litter. Can you you imagine? Yeah, but you were part of that cleanup crew and you're just, you know, your Saturday morning doing your court mandated or not community service. And you you're the one that stumbles upon this murder. (laughs) And how many other people could be out there? How many other cases are unsolved or or, landfills? You know, how many people are disposed of just via a landfill? Well, that's a good. um, So we're going to keep our Google alerts and be on the lookout for any more cases that follow this trend. 
Yeah, and spread the word. If you have some suspicions about your friend who travels to Houston. Buys a lot of garbage bags. Only buys garbage bags at the market and, you know, tape and other suspicious items, pliers. or Obsessively watches I Love Lucy. (laughs) Things like that, you know, signs. Signs. We're going to be pretty busy this summer working on our season two and some other fun things. But anything you've been watching lately or glued into? Oh, gosh. Well, the semester's over, so we're on summer break. So I've been reading a lot of true crime. I have picked up this wonderful book called The Cab Log, and it's Diaries of a Cab Driver. He's not a murderer. (laughs) He's not a murderer. And he drove this cat. It's it's Deej, Brother Deej, I believe is how you say it. And he drove this cab for a bunch of years in uh, South Louisiana and really lived on the fringes of society. And I've been sort of have this morbid fascination in, in how our society has been changing um with the as the income gap increases and we experience more poverty how many people have been living in motels and and that sort of life the 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 fringes of society lifestyle and how soul-sucking that can be and and also like oddly beautiful and heartbreaking all of those things it makes you feel all the things it's a good book how about you Oh, I'm good. I'm good. 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 I'm trying to think the last I'm, I have that on my list to read as well. And I may or may not have already ordered it because I'm also very interested in the the fringes of society and the weird and the wonderful stories that come out of struggle and living life. I'm thinking of the last book that you gave me, which was Girl in the Box, which was probably one of the most intense reads. It was a the true crime story about this poor woman that was in captivity for many years, forced to live in a box underneath her captor's bed, which was horrible and sad and inspiring. But other than that, just uh, probably more fun, the things we read. So I'm going to have to balance it out with something that's more up. (laughs) Yeah, you know, if you're reading about a girl in a box, you might want to also read about, I don't know, butterflies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Together, but then I'm thinking Silence of the Lambs. Oh crap! Yeah, yeah, no, don't do that. Don't do it. Take it back. <laughs> There's no way to win with us. No, yeah, no way. Well, cool. I guess we're saying goodbye. I guess we're saying goodbye. Maybe we should do more book and movie and show recommendations. We've always been saying that we were going to do that, but people will incorporate more of those. If people are enjoying, we would love feedback from anyone <laughs> that's listening. Otherwise, it's just an echo chamber. Absolutely, yes. Only positive feedback, though. (laughs) We're not ready. We're not ready yet. (laughs) All right. Signing off. Until next season. Bye. Bye.